This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's very good, Bryce. I always enjoy these episodes, so very excited to be doing it for another month. Absolutely. Favourite episode of the month and fast becoming, I guess, one of the favourite episodes from of our listeners as well. A lot of great feedback comes in from these and I can feel the anticipation as we move towards the release date each month. So without, I guess, any further ado, I would love to welcome Julia Lee back for our mastermind number four. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So for those new to the show, welcome, welcome to Equity Mates and our journey of investing as we sort of break down the markets and, and everything in between. But this episode is, as we said, one of our favorites. How it works is uh, Ren, Julia and myself will each pick a stock and then pitch it to each other. Now, it could be because we think it has an interesting business model, great growth potential, whatever it may be. And uh, then we'll, we'll have a chat. I guess please note that in no way is this a buy, hold or sell recommendation and doing your own research on any of the stocks we discuss is critical. And so this is just general information and discussion only. Absolutely. I just want to blow the horn before we start on a few stocks that have been, you know, featured in past Equity Mates episode. I noticed that uh, Raytheon, which is one that we spoke about in the past, um, which is on on the US market, that's expected to actually rise quite, quite strongly given that we saw a drone attack on a Saudi Arabia oil facility over the weekend. So Raytheon, good call, RTN. <laughs> we'll add that. So yeah, I think uh, you raise a good point, Julie. We haven't really kept track uh, publicly of all the stock picks that we have done over the past few episodes. So we'll make a note to put that on our website and make it uh, visible so everyone can sort of track how, how we're going. And a couple of other ones, <laughs> Baby Bunting and Eclipse have done really well as well. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> yeah, Baby Bunting's had a crazy, crazy run since we've discussed it. Yeah, Baby Bunting. Maybe because everyone's jumped in on the bite. <laughs> but, you know, that's why reporting season is important because it does demonstrate those companies with a strong sort of tailwind behind them. Baby Bunting was a standout during reporting season. 
Mm-hmm. Also, my stock pick of the year, and so you're in a lot. <laughs> I was of waiting trouble. for that. I was <laughs> waiting for that. <laughs> Unless Costa can come come home strong. Yeah, uh, I don't. I yeah. don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we've got a bit of a, a mix of stocks tonight. I think Saudi Arabia is going to be a theme and also we've got tech and Ren, you've gone for something a little different as well. So do you want to kick off, Ren? <laughs> uh, sure, I'll go first. I've gone uh, international again and I'm, I'm going to Europe, Amsterdam in particular, and I want to talk about Heineken, one of the largest beer brewers in the world. Nice. So Heineken, a bit about the company, it owns 165 breweries in more than 70 countries. It produces more than 250 beers and ciders and employs 73,000 people worldwide. It's the number one brewer in Europe and one of the largest in the world. I think since a recent merger between Anheuser-Busch and Saab Miller, it's number two in the world. So it does... About 27 billion euro in revenue and a bit over 2 billion euro in profit. And it sold about 24 billion litres of beer last year. So a massive company by any respects um, and in a, in a massive industry. Now, I'm curious, Ren, have you just chosen this stock because you like to drink beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Someone said to me, go with the names that you know and trust. Oh, I'm That's wondering it. Well, I've been doing a lot of research on the company. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I've chosen this company is the China story that is unfolding in the the beer market and particularly that the premium category of the, the Chinese beer market. There's a long story, and I'll try and condense it as best I can, but essentially to uh, sell your beer as a foreign country or to sell any product as a foreign company into China, you need to partner with a, a local Chinese partner. And the biggest Chinese brewer is China Resources Beer that had partnered with one of Heineken's rivals, Saab Miller. But with, with Saab Miller's recent merger... They had to part ways with China Resources Beer and Heineken have snapped up the opportunity and have paid $3.1 billion for 40% of China Resources Beer with the intention to make a very large push into the largest beer drinking market in the world. At this stage, Heineken has less than 1% market share in China, but partnering with China's biggest brewer should see them really make a big push into what is already the biggest beer drinking market and the premium category of China's market is uh, is growing at a quite fast rate as well. So uh, an interesting an interesting company potentially opening up a new market and so one that I thought would be interesting to watch. Wow, I've never thought of China as being a massive beer market, but you're absolutely yeah, right. You know, rapidly changing standards of living, you know, lots more disposable income. It would be perfect for the beer market and I guess a love of imported products as well. So a premium European beer sounds pretty good. Yeah, now the, the interesting thing is that traditionally China was a massive beer market and the overall size of the beer market is being eaten into by the wine market. Wine is fast becoming, is growing a lot faster than beer. What you're seeing in China is that the premium category of the beer market is still growing very quickly 
it's just the sort of the lower end of the market is is not growing as quickly. Mm. But yeah, yeah, fascinating. Forty five point seven billion liters of beer drunk in China last year. So, <laughs> do you know Australia's numbers? I don't. I know the US is about twenty billion liters. So a bit less than half of China. Yeah, I know that Australia drinks a lot per person (laughs) if you compare it to global standards. But I guess China, just in terms of its population, means that it's going to be a much bigger market. Pure size, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And look, if if you're not interested in Heineken, it looks like a lot of the big brewers in the world are making big pushes into China at the moment. So I spoke about Heineken and they're partnering with uh, China's largest brewer, another big international brewer, AB InBev, tried to <laughs> IPO their Asian business recently and then pulled it. And they've also paid a fair bit of money to become the exclusive distributor for Japan's Sapporo brand beer in China. Asahi has paid $8.2 billion for some of the biggest uh, European brand names, and they're now aggressively marketing those brand names in China. And Carlsberg is partnering with a big Chinese brewer to also make a push into China. So it looks like a number of the big beer companies have the same idea uh, that China is a big growth opportunity. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, battle to watch over the next you know, few years or few decades as these big brands fight for this massive market. Mm. And for me, Heineken partnering with the biggest brewer, the biggest Chinese brewer, gives them a strategic advantage. Yeah, that was that was going to be my question. That makes sense. I wonder where they see India falling into all of this as well. I know that there's a couple of big Indian beer brands, but it would be interesting to see, I guess, with a huge population as well, a bit further down the track where, where these big brands are going to come in and start t- tackling that market as well. Yeah, it will, it will, it will be interesting. There, there's just... The, the whole brewing market, there's such a power law to it. Like the big brewers seem to just keep getting bigger and bigger, keep acquiring all the smaller brewers. And then, you know, you walk into a bottle shop and it looks like you've got heaps of choice, but it's really yeah. just four or five yeah. companies producing a lot of different labels. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's really interesting seeing some of the trends because over in North America, people are drinking less alcohol, but they're infusing drinks with, is it... CDB, <laughs> the derivative from the, yeah, um, the yeah. cannabis. marijuana, yeah. cannabis, yeah. because in their minds uh, that has a less health impact compared to alcohol. So they're saying it's almost a generational shift that we're seeing. So that that will be an interesting shift to watch to see whether we do see a younger generation embracing a different type of drink. But the one I really like is the glitter beer. I hope that catches on. It's a glitter what? beer. <laughs> what is that? What's glitter beer? Apparently, you can buy beer with glitter in it. Oh, what? Sounds <laughs> awful. So wrong. <laughs> How have I missed this all my life? <laughs> There's also that tr- big trend that's coming through, and a lot of the big names in Australia are starting to bring out alcohol-free beer. I know Carlton have one, Heineken have one here as well, and also carb carb-free. So. You know, picking up on that trend of, I guess, people not wanting the, the health effects, as you said, Julia, of, mm. of drinking beer, but I guess still wanting perhaps maybe the taste or that sort of social proof that it may look like they're drinking beer and, in fact, in fact they're not. Yeah, that's a huge market, yeah, the non-alcoholic trend. or the low-alcoholic market um, because people are, are a bit more health conscious. 
Yeah, absolutely. Nice friend. Good pick. So you're going to put your money where your mouth is or? Uh, well, not at this stage, but I will be watching closely. So we'll see. We'll see. Well, I might uh, jump into mine if that's all right, Julia, and then we'll finish off with yours. Sounds good. So Ren is certainly aware that I am a fan of the payments market, Julia. So uh, it's no surprise that I've picked I sign this. Uh, ASX ticker is ISX. Now it's uh, been on a, a great run this year. It listed in 2015, but this has been a year that we've really seen some great momentum behind the stock. So I sign this is a, a money, e-money and, and payments technology company, primarily focusing on, on the identity side of things. So they streamline the process for online identification, removing a lot of the paperwork that comes with that sort of old school 100 point check that you'd often have to do when signing up to services online. So I guess why is it important? Well, the world obviously is really connected now and identity and, and fraud is something that is now becoming more and more common. Sorry, identity theft. And there's this thing known as the KYC or know your customer. And it's what a lot of, I guess, gaming and equities businesses and those businesses that are online that have, I guess, high value, high frequency, a lot of risk and and turnover that require these KYCs or know your customers. So I sign this brings together a total, I guess, process that patented. So to give you, a, a, I guess, a rundown of, of how they do it previously, if you were to sign up to, say, a gambling site or an equities site or broker, you'd have to have a, a face-to-face interview, certified documents. Then the process was to move into, I guess, you know, that stage where you would get asked questions of what's your mother's maiden name and what was your first dog called? And that was the old school way of identifying who you were online. However, the issue with this century, obviously, is that um, now all these data breaches is coming in and phishing and identity theft that is no longer a trusted source. So I sign this brings in a way of identifying these checks um, by identifying your payment instrument or your card and proving that you own the card. So pretty important in the payment industry at the moment. And yeah, I guess initial thoughts. I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm going through this myself at the moment where um, Austrack requires you to know your client because of anti-money laundering as well as counter-terrorism financing. So it's all about trying to understand um, who your client is so that money doesn't get in the hands of terrorists or um, there's no money laundering. So whether it's any sort of monetary transaction, it's a, it's a massive market and it's a global one as well. So a really interesting company and, you know, the company's up 588% in the past 52 weeks. It's amazing. Let me ask you this, Julia. Would this I sign this company help you go through your process at the moment? Now, to be truthful, there's lots of companies that offer um, Know Your Client yeah. and the KYC AML component of it. So a lot of it is already moving towards automation. I guess with I Sign This, there's a few other moving parts involved. Um, they're, they're calling it the next Neo Bank. So they have a few different products. They've got I Sign This Paid Entity. They have I Sign This Pay. They've got a uh, Baltic banking service, and then they have something called a pro banks as well. So, look, I think it takes that know your client identification process and it takes it a step further, which is pretty interesting. I was just reading up on it 
as you were talking for us, I feel like I've taken over. (laughs) (laughs) They've just signed an agreement with the Asia-Pacific subsidiary of Visa, which is a huge deal. Yeah, they're making some pretty big headway at the moment. So last year, they were really moving towards taking full end-to-end control of of all their systems and um, earmarked 2019 as being one that they could really start to drive a lot of their end-to-end offerings, which you mentioned there was paid entity. So what they want to do or what they are now capable of doing is, for example, if you were to sign up to a broker or a, a gaming platform and you wanted to make a trade or, or a bet within five minutes, the old school way would be that you would need to have your platform, uh, sorry, your profile identified first, wait a couple of days, and then you could put in money and make the payment. What they are able to do now is they actually reverse that and they take the payment first and then in the process of doing so are able to identify and verify the customer while the transaction is taking place. So essentially the you can imagine from the business's point of view the return on investment for the, using paid entity would be pretty significant given that I guess you'd lose customers in some instances if they can't make the payment straight away. So that, that's kind of the space they're wanting to play in now. And all of this sort of technology is patented. And they also have huge global reach into, as you saw, that Visa and MasterCard and a lot of sort of central banks over overseas as well, Europe and that sort of stuff, so that they can identify customers across the globe and help businesses grow that way. So, yeah, pretty interesting company. And as you said, though, Julia, it's an industry with a lot of competitors. However, you know, I think this technology is, is patented and they're offering a bit more of an end-to-end complete service compared to some of their competitors. So... Bryce, I have a couple of questions about their stock chart because it, it yes. <laughs> has raised some things. So yep. the, the company was founded in 96 and it seemed to do very well during the tech boom and then fell away all through the 2000s and then year to date seems to have risen about a 1,000% and then in the last week dropped about 40%. So that, that raises about a thousand questions for me, but I'm going to start with what, what have they been doing since 1996? Nah, so it must, they must have taken over a ticker or something because for, as far as I'm aware, they listed in 2015. Yeah, so it would have been a oh, backdoor okay. listing where they've so taken it yeah, okay, that yeah. makes more sense. Yeah. over a shell yeah. company. Yeah, so okay. I think I think that's what they've done because yeah they definitely hit the markets in 2015 and I can tell you what they've been doing from 2015 and that's a lot of the back- <laughs> that's a lot of the back end work they really didn't hit the market with their product till about three years after after listing I mean revenues we're talking a very small company here revenues for the first quarter I think 2019 were only seven and a half million that is up about 50 percent but yeah we're not talking huge dollars here at the moment, but their guidance going forward is that, you know, revenue is likely to increase in, in the in the big double digits. So as I said, they see 2019 is a year of uh, really going hard on, on their, I guess, offering. They did have a great run and then dropped about 40% last week, I think it was, because yeah, there was yeah, a, a report the- released saying that $500 million worth of stock or whatever had been distributed to the executives and there was a bit of, I guess, revolt from shareholders about that, but it's since recovered somewhat. 
only exceeded their performance uh, hurdle by $5,000 or something like that. And um, <laughs> it just seemed like such a small <laughs> amount to like nothing. get over that hurdle for such a large number of shares to be issued. So I think that was the revolt. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't from any sort of a fundamental change in, in their business or anything like that. It was a, an uproar from shareholders based on more yeah, exactly issued that. capital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you saying that now might be a good time to buy? I'm not saying anything of the sort, Ren. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's just say I think it's been on a great run. There's obviously a lot of interest and momentum behind it at the moment and if things continue in the way that they sort of say that they are, then there, there appears to be great some great upside but also very competitive market. This is exactly what you were saying about six months ago when uh, you didn't buy the stock then. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll see. So, Julia, do you want to kick into yours? Yeah, I thought I'd focus in on the energy sector given the attack that we saw on the Saudi Arabian oil facility. And, you know, there, there is a bit of a track record in what happens when we do get disruptions in, in terms of the oil market. Often it can be buy on the rumour, sell on the fact, or um, sell on the sabre rattling and buy on the bullets. And generally in terms of oil, there tends to be a premium when there are conflicts. So we call it the war premium, if you like. So I guess it depends on whether we do see the situation escalate or whether we see it being resolved quite quickly. And one of the things the markets pay quite a lot of attention to these days are the Trump tweets. And he had an amazing tweet after that attack on Saudi oil saying that the US is locked and loaded. Yeah, That was a, a pretty amazing tweet to come from a, a US president. I guess some of the surprising questions. <laughs> not surprising, knowing our President Trump's personality so far. I guess some of the questions are: What are the current inventories like, and how are these likely to play out? A key question is: Is it going to get worse before it gets better? There's certainly a big disruption to supply. We know that the uh, facility that was targeted around about five million barrels of oil production per day has come offline, and that. Rep- represents about 5 to 6% of the global oil market. So that is a, a pretty significant move. Now, the big question is whether that production comes back online relatively quickly or whether that's drawn out for a, a number of months. So that's one of the things to watch out for. The other is the escalation in terms of conflict because then we'll see that that strength that we've seen in oil prices come last a little bit longer. I guess what is a little bit different is that the US does have a huge supply of emergency oil, something like 645 million barrels for scenarios like this. But in terms of the oil market, a lot of it does have to do with sentiment. And I think that the market does trade with a war premium when you do see conflicts like this. So look, if we have a look at some of the past instances during the Iraq uh, Kuwait conflict in 1990-1991, We saw Santos, for example, start at $3.20 in January 1990. And one year later, in January 1991, it was at exactly the same price, $3.20. 
But in between, it had spiked to a high of $4.14. So look, this is probably more of a trading opportunity than a longer term investing opportunity. But we know that from past scenarios that we can see these sort of prolonged uh, spikes in oil prices, which generally spike over a six to eight month period if we do see an escalation in terms of the conflict. So given that we are seeing a bit of attention on oil, I thought I'd point out one of the oil stocks that I, I do like at the moment, and that is Santos. STO is the stock code there. Now, this company in the past has been a bit of a basket case, but it's a vastly different company from what came out of the global financial crisis. And I guess one of the things in Santos's favour is that it does have a really strong balance sheet. In fact, one of the strongest balance sheets in the sector. And also, if we have a look at how they've been operating, their business has been operating uh, beyond market expectations. So their operations are going really well. The momentum is looking good and the growth picture is looking good as well. So look, the two I like in this space are Beach Petroleum and Santos, but I guess Santos is my preferred over some of the big names like Woodside Petroleum and Oil Search. So that would be my pick in the space. Now, Julia, you mentioned that Trump tweeted that he was uh, locked and loaded. Do, Do you worry that your pick might be thwarted by another Trump tweet? when he tweeted in all caps, just plenty of oil, exclamation mark. (laughs) Yeah. That means olive oil, Ren. (laughs) That that is an emergency oil uh, supply. And I I guess it depends on the escalation in the conflict and how long the conflict goes for. So, yes, that tweet that he did have plenty of oil did bring a little bit more calm uh, back to the market. But I think even before we saw this spike up in oil over the weekend and the attack on the Saudi Arabian uh, facilities, oil prices were primed for probably a moved up. I think the, the market had become too pessimistic in terms of the oil price. So look, I I just think we were oversold at this point anyway, but the Saudi Arabian conflict really just brought the energy sector back, back into the spotlight. I mean, we are at uh, I guess in a world where we are seeing a stronger US currency and a, a weaker Aussie dollar, and that really should be good news for some of the oil miners here in Australia. So, look, I think that this has brought the spotlight in oil. It's not the only reason to be in oil, but because of the concerns around global growth, we have seen oil hit pretty hard in uh, 2019. But look, I think it's about time for a bounce, and this might have been the impetus that the energy space needed for a, a mini re rating. I think people are probably not too familiar with this idea of a strategic oil reserve. So to ask a question on it, if the US release oil into the market to keep supply going, doesn't that mean at some point they're going to have to be in the market buying that oil back to top up the reserve? So even if Trump releases it in the short term, there's still going to be that extra demand pressure longer term that will that will help prop up the price of oil. That, that's a really good question, and um, I think there are a few undercurrents which are happening at the moment. And when the emergency oil reserve was put into play, it was at a time when the U.S. was importing a lot of oil. Um, so it was a strategic decision that ever if there was conflict and they needed access to that emergency supply, that it was there. But in the last few years, what we have seen is a reversal of that, and the U.S. is actually a massive producer of oil. Don't forget that Saudi Arabia 
ABS still wants to IPO Aramico, and the longer that they're out of the market, the more that the US can gain market share in that crucial oil market at a time, which probably hurts Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia, I think, has a great impetus to try and recover their oil operations as soon as possible and not lose market share to some of their competitors, especially the US, which is become a, which has become a major oil player over the uh, last decade. Yeah, well, speaking of with the recovery and I guess the lag effect, I'm sure there are a number of people that probably put in some off-market trades over the weekend in hope of catching the the jump when markets opened uh, this morning and maybe, you know, the same in the US markets tonight. And so I read the Bloomberg report this morning, sorry, that Saudi Arabia, Arabia will probably restore almost half of their oil production lost over the weekend by as early as this morning, according to some insiders. So, to your point, Julia, I'm sure they're doing everything they can to, I guess, speed up the recovery process as quick as possible, which I thought is pretty phenomenal, to be honest, <laughs> if they do manage to do that. So there's a few things happening here. There's the underlying asset price, which is oil price. Secondly, there's looking at the energy sector and, I guess, the valuations and the growth potential of stocks in that space. And I like Beach Petroleum as well as Santos. But thirdly, this has been building for a while in the Middle East. So Although this is, I guess, a strike on a Saudi Arabian oil facility, the question is, you know, what's going to change in the Middle East to, I guess, calm the conflict? Or are we going to continue to see this simmer away? And we are, are we going to start to see, I guess, more tensions in this space? So, you know, these are questions that won't disappear or um, be resolved overnight. But I think they're the three key things to be watching at the moment. Not only the underlying oil price from a day-to-day perspective, and no doubt there are a lot of, I guess, political viewpoints happening at the moment, whether it's Saudi Arabia, whether it's the US, whether it's other countries within the Middle East, but also, you know, why is that conflict there and will that conflict go away? And I think that's an important uh, question to be asking when you're looking at the energy space as well. Yeah, fascinating. Nice. Ren, do you have any further questions? No, I think... I just am really struck by how pessimistic some of our picks have been between Bryce's <laughs> <laughs> D-Bus pick and then Raytheon and now uh, we're betting for Middle East conflict. It just, it seems that there's a very pessimistic view of the world here. <laughs> yeah, well. I, I like to think that we, we think about what's changing and some of the things that are changing are negative and it's always change which causes a a change in the valuation of underlying companies. Mm. <laughs> well, three, <laughs> three uh, very different picks there. So we'll add them to our list, our tracker, and see how they go over the medium to longer term, short term, whatever we want to, we want ever want to decide. Julie, I just thought I would also let everyone know that if they want to hear more from you and ask you questions directly, you're actually going to be joining us at our live event in Sydney in on the 29th of October. So very much looking forward to that. And if anyone does want to come down and listen to more of Julia and, and some of the other fantastic guests that's, that we'll have, make sure you get uh, your reservation for that 6pm at our General Assembly campus. I am so excited. Equity Mates Live. 
no questions that are off the table. <laughs> I know. We'll have to keep Ren, <laughs> Ren, All right. Ren locked up. But, um, <laughs> That's a bit harsh. No, very much, <laughs> very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic evening. But uh, more details on our Facebook page and website if you're interested in, in coming to that. So I guess we'll we'll leave it there. Another really interesting mastermind for this month. Very much looking forward to seeing what we come up with next month and also I guess a check in on the performance of these stocks over the, the next sort of 30 days or so. Some big things in play. So, Julia, thank you very much for joining us again. Appreciate your time and we will see you live in October. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.